What up? My name is Matt, and this is my podcast, Low and Slow, the business behind the kitchen. So right now, you're probably asking yourself, who is this guy, right? Like, who is this guy that's talking to me, that's pretending to know all things about the restaurant industry? Well, first of all, I'm not pretending to know all things about the restaurant industry. I never said that. Um, I started out back in 2007 uh, in barbecue competitions, so it started as a hobby. I entered a a small barbecue competition um, as an amateur team and got hooked. Uh, So I spent the next couple years just competing in and around North and South Carolina and Georgia. I really got bit hard by the barbecue bug, and so that hobby evolved into a passion and that passion evolved into an obsession, I think my wife would say, right? And then um, the obsession evolved into a tool that God chose to use to impact people's lives. And we'll get into that in the future episodes. Um, so I've been in this now for over 10 years. Um, and I'm not claiming to be all-knowing, right? I'm not claiming to be an expert, to have all the answers. Um, but I do have a significant amount of experience. Um, and experience is expensive, right? And if I can, if I can borrow someone else's experience rather than buying my own, I'm all for that. I mean, sign me up all day, right? Because the restaurant industry is unique in that there are skills and traits that you can learn and that you can train for. Um, but as an owner operator, there are a lot of things and pitfalls that that we'll face that um, nobody can teach you about, right? Like you just, you don't know what you don't know until you run into it. And so um, if, if you know, you guys bring up something, a question or something that I don't know the answer to, then, I mean, I'll bring on an expert and then we'll learn it together, right? How about that? So feel free to subscribe, um, share this with somebody you know who uh, might benefit from it. Um, who is this for? Who's the audience? It's for veterans in the restaurant industry or food service industry. Um, you know, as, as restaurant operators, we're always trying to adapt. We're always looking to innovate, looking to grow. Uh, and if 2020 taught us anything is, is that, is, is how important that is. Um, we always have to be willing and able to move and, and roll with the punches. Uh, it's for new people in the restaurant business. You might just be getting into it. Uh, it's for people transitioning into the restaurant business. Maybe you're coming from a different career. Maybe you are um, stepping up. Maybe you're moving from a catering operation to a food truck or food truck to a brick and mortar or maybe going straight from the kitchen to a brick and mortar. Uh, this show's for you. Uh, maybe you know it, it's for uh, aspiring restaurateurs. So maybe you're a, a, a home cook or a chef in the kitchen, you got a killer recipe, you've, you've done your market test, and you know you want to get into the restaurant business, uh, this is for you. So um, looking for comments, um, both to on our YouTube page, Just Cuban Barbecue. Um, we're at Just Cuban BBQ on all social media platforms. So you know, send us questions, uh, comments, whatever. Um, we're always looking to answer questions. We'll answer questions at the end of this show and, and probably every show. Um, but we'll talk about everything from A to Z in the restaurant industry, right? As my grandmother used to say, from the Ruta to the Tuta, right? So let's get after it.
Um, today we're going to talk about something that is near and dear to my heart, and it's um, some of the hardest lessons that I've learned in the business, and that is consistent food quality, right? It is a term that gets thrown around pretty loosely in the business, probably because it's so important to the consumer. Um, you know, these days people have probably more options than ever before to spend their money on stuff and what they're going to spend their money on. There are so many different restaurants, so many different options. Couple that with the fact that people are uh, more discerning on the money that they spend and, and wanting to get value for that money, quality becomes that much more important because of it. And so if you're, you know, a veteran in the food service industry, if you're a startup, if you're aspiring, if you're transitioning into it, whatever stage you are in this industry, long-term success has to equal good food. Like it's foundational. If you don't have good food consistently, you don't have to worry about a five-year plan. Like that, that none of that matters. You don't have to worry about profit margins. You don't have to worry about P&L statements, none of that stuff matters, right? None of that matters if you don't have consistently good food. Like, you have to start there. Um, now, this is this is under the assumption that um, under ideal conditions, you got a good product. So everything that I'm going to talk about, I can't help you if your food is just not good, right? Like, from if from the start, if it's just not a good product, right? This is the assumption that under ideal conditions, meaning that if you're just cooking for one or two people in ideal um, in an ideal environment that you have a good food that you've done the market test that you've made sure that people will pay money for the food that you're cooking right so i'm I'm not talking about people who just are just out there cooking nasty stuff like i can't i can't I can't help that right but under ideal conditions you have a good product this is this is for you. Right, so if if the food isn't consistently good, nobody's gonna buy it. The people, I mean, the restaurant industry is such that people will give you feedback constantly, all the time. They'll give it to you on social media platforms. They'll give it to you on review sites. Um, but most importantly, they'll they'll tell you whether your food is good or not with their money, right? With their spending. And if sales start to decline where they weren't otherwise, then you know you might have a problem, right? So. In my experience, there's one main reason for food quality issues, and that is cutting corners, right? Now, cutting corners is a general term. A lot of people use it. Don't cut corners. We don't cut corners. It's one of our value statements. We don't cut corners on barbecue. And cutting corners shows itself in a lot of different ways, but all the symptoms roll up to cutting corners, right? The term sounds harsh. And the reason why the first time you hear it referred to you or um, talking about something that you might be doing or serving, the reason you take offense to it is because it's almost like an indictment on a person's character, right? Like it's almost like the nerve review to say that I'm cutting corners, like I'm cheating. So let me explain. There are three main ways that we cut corners, and I say we because, like I said, it's happened to it's happened to me too. It's one of it's one of the most valuable lessons that I've learned. The first way is with ingredients, 
all ingredients are not created equal. And when we get to a point in the restaurant business, either starting out or later on, we get to a point where we're evaluating um, our prices versus our profit. So what we're able to charge versus what we're able to make off of the food that we're serving. A lot of times when we're doing that menu costing, we're trying to get that cost down as, as low as possible. And sometimes we cut corners on the ingredients that we use. Now, there are ingredients that you can use that um, directly line up and mimic, you know, more expensive ingredients, but that's not always the case, right? And so when, when we start to compromise on the quality of ingredients that we use, whether that be the main product or meat or um, a side or we're using off-brand stuff to, to try and squeeze some more sense or some more profit out of our menu items, that's cutting corners, and that has a direct effect on the quality of the food. Um, it's not always the case, but most of the time it is. Um, I'm a believer that 99% of the time you get what you pay for. If, um, if you spend what you need to spend to make a quality dish, then people will pay for that because quality speaks for itself. It's not going to be for everybody. Everybody's not going to pay for it. But the people that you're trying to serve, your target audience will pay for quality. right? If that's something that you want to be known for, then we can't compromise on those ingredients. So ingredients is one way that we cut corners. And again, I've done it. I've, I've tried to, I've let my marketing reps talk me into trying this newfangled um, off-brand product that you know they might make more money on. But... Um, is different from what I what I typically use, or I can save some money if I do this instead of doing this, right? So there's constant pressure to change your menu, but as an operator, as an owner, as as someone in the food service business, you have to understand the correlation between if I compromise on my ingredients, what is that going to do to my quality? And the quality always has to be at the forefront of your mind. Like we always have to be thinking about it. So that's one way. The second way that we cut corners is with the process. When we develop our processes for making food, creating food, creating a dish, when we start to cut corners on that process and do the things that are easiest for us instead of doing things that are best for the dish or best for the end result, then the quality goes down right away. Right? We have a saying in a restaurant that um, we start with what's best for the guests and work backwards from there. So most of the times when we're making food, it's inconvenient for us. Our process is not convenient for us. A lot of times it takes longer. Uh, it might be a little bit higher labor on some dishes. Um, it's, a, it's a greater risk of waste. Whatever the case may be, if the end result is the best end result you can get, you have to develop a process that leads to that end result every single time. For example, if you say, I make mac and cheese in batches of five pans. And my five pans of mac and cheese is the best mac and cheese that anyone has ever eaten. But I have to make that five-pan batch of mac and cheese three times a day. We've gotten so busy, I have to make it three times a day. So what you do is instead of making that five-pan batch of mac and cheese three times a day, you start making one batch of mac and cheese for 15 pans one time a day. And then you start making 
one batch of 30 pan mac and cheese every other day, right? So you start to shorten the process, you start to change the process so that it's more convenient for you, not really keeping in mind what it's going to do to the end result. Again, quality has to be at the forefront of all of our decision makings when it comes to ingredients and when it comes to process, right? When we change the process, I don't know that we always understand that, again, there's a direct correlation to the end result, right? And quality suffers. And a lot of times it's subtle. And we don't always taste every single thing we make, especially if you're going through high volume. You don't always taste everything that's coming out of the kitchen. And so how many of that bad product went out to the masses before you even caught it? How many people didn't say something before the one person complained about your mac and cheese is different, right? So we have to keep in mind that the process matters and the process leads to the consistency and the quality that we're looking for, okay? So that's the second way. The third way that we cut corners, and again, I say we because I've been there too. I've done, I've done all of these, right? I've, I've cut corners on ingredients. I've tried to change my ingredients on different things to try and squeeze more profit out of it. I have changed the process to make it easier on me uh, or easier on the team, maybe because, you know, either I was tired or lazy or somebody was complaining and I just kind of acquiesced to it and just said, hey, okay, I hear you. Let's let's come up with a solution, right? And once I once I put the feelings and, and, and solutions of other people and convenience ahead of quality, it, it doesn't work. It never works. It never works. Okay, and so, but the third way, the third way that we cut corners is the owner operator stepping away too soon. Okay, this is a big one. This is a big one when, how do we understand when is a good time to step away and let the restaurant kind of run itself? We step away for different reasons. Step away because, you know, we got, we're a little burned out, need a little break, need a rest. You know, there's seasons where you work really hard, seasons where you can't. Maybe you're maybe we're thinking about opening up a second location, expanding, uh, and so we think we can step away, um, or maybe we just you know need to work on different areas of the business. We need to you know there are administrative stuff that we have let fall to the wayside that we really need to focus on. So we step out of the kitchen uh, and step out of you know maintaining the quality and go do that thing, right? But stepping away too fast again. Stepping away too fast without the right people and the right process in place has a direct effect on quality because nobody's going to watch your thing like you are. Nobody's going to pay attention like you are. Nobody's going to be on top of it like you are. Somebody somebody used this uh, analogy in the past that I heard and I really like uh, and I've been paying attention to it ever since. Has anybody ever in the history of life taken a rental car to the car wash? And the answer is no. And because I heard that, I've even been tempted to take a rental car to the car wash. And every time I go to turn in or go that way, it's like I can't even do it. It's like a force field keeping me from driving into the car wash with a rental car. And I know better, but I can't do it, right, because it's not mine. I don't own it, so I don't care that much. I know that sounds harsh and it sounds like, you know, a jerk thing to say, but when it gets down to it, bare bare knuckles, brass tacks, whatever you say, we don't care that much. And nobody's going to care about your thing like you do, 
Right. There are people going to get close to caring about it like you do, but nobody's going to care about it like you do. And so we can't step away from that too fast. So my story is, you know, we started um, at a single location and that location was doing really well. Uh, didn't have much debt, had really low overhead. Um, and it was it was kind of running itself. Um, now, it was running itself because... Um, it, it wasn't very complicated. It wasn't a lot to it. And I wasn't spending a lot of time there. And so what, what happened was I decided to expand. And, and I expanded too quickly, honestly, because we didn't have the right people. We didn't have the right processes in place to grow at the time that we grew. Right? And so um, I stepped away too fast. And immediately what started to happen was our overall quality just gradually went down. I mean, it gradually went down. And we went through... Um, different iterations of people. Our turnover was all over the place, and we almost didn't make it as a business because the overall product was so bad. I mean, it was so inconsistent. I mean, on one day, our quality would be up here. Another day, I mean, it's in the tank, right? And so I've experienced firsthand of stepping away from the kitchen or from the business too soon to try and pursue other things. And the quality suffered because of it. Um, so that's my story. Um, I hope you guys um, listen. Like I said, share. If there's something else, somebody else that you know of that can benefit from this information, um, we'll do this regularly. I'll try and get one of these out once a week. Um, send me any topics that you have, any struggles that you're going through, anything that you want to hear about. Um, I'll talk about those. Like I said, at the end of every uh, show, I'll try and get some questions. So I got a couple questions here. Uh, the first one is from uh, Tate Christopher. Uh, his um, social media handle is at tchris135. Uh, he says, have you guys ever thought about branching out? And if so, what's the ideal place? And then he asks, have we, have we ever thought about moving outside of barbecue to another food? Which I think is a really good question. So, like I just said, we, we branched out before, uh, and it was too soon. And so what we did was we pruned, right, the idea of cutting off good to make way for great. Uh, so we did shut down one of our restaurants in 2019, and the restaurant's doing a lot better now. And so um, our processes and our people are in a lot better place than they were at that time as well. So, yes, we have, short answer is, we are constantly thinking about expanding and what does that look like and what do we need to do. There's a, a, a book that I like, um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and one of the principles is that, of that is to begin with the end in mind. And so if our ending is growing, then we got to work backwards from there and figure out, well, what do we need to do? How do we need to position ourselves to be able to um, make that step successfully? So yes, is a short answer. Ideal place, I won't say that. Um, Cincinnati is a, a, a big little city, and so it's, it's highly competitive. Um, and so I don't want to I don't want to give away any competitive edge on like neighborhoods and stuff that we're looking at or thinking about. Um, and then um, I have not thought about moving outside of barbecue. Um, I'm a believer in not trying to be all things to all people. Just do what you do and do it well. Uh, so right now, barbecue is a tool that we use, right, to impact people's lives. Um, and I think we do it pretty well. Um, and so we, we, once we start trying to step outside of that, things can get a little hanky, right? So I don't want to try and do something just to, just to make money or what's the next big thing. 
Um, so I stick to what I'm, I'm pretty much obsessed about. So that's a good question. Thanks, uh, Tate. I appreciate it. And then we have another question from Nathan Chase. His uh, Instagram handle is at the homie Nate. I love that Instagram handle, by the way. Um, Nate asked a, a pretty loaded question. He asked about competition barbecue. He says, is it contradictory to the fundamentals that barbecue was started on? Is it wasteful? Is it good because it promotes certain restaurants' brands? Um, what else is beneficial about it, and do we partake? So, Nate, that's a loaded question. Um, I don't think competition barbecue is, is contradictory to the fundamentals of what barbecue was started on. I think it's, it's pretty much the fundamentals of what barbecue was started on. Um, a lot of restaurants is, are contradictory to those fundamentals, but the whole thinking behind competition is cooking barbecue in the most traditional sense of low and slow as possible with no gas assist, with um, you know, a little bit of electri- electricity, um, you know, cooking all night, um, the meat, the four meat, um, well, if you're K- Kansas City Barbecue Society, but the four meat categories that are traditionally lo- known um, as barbecue meat, so pork, brisket, ribs, and chicken. Um, so competition barbecue is really in line with the fundamentals of, of, of barbecue. Um, it is very wasteful. I mean, very wasteful. Though. That that is that is a thing. You cook. You might cook um, three, four brisket just to turn in six portions, or sixteen slabs of ribs just to turn in six four bone portions. Right. So it is very wasteful. I do agree with that. Um, but at most barbecue competitions, you'll see after the turn ins, either people are selling or giving away samples. Um, so if you're ever going to a barbecue festival. Um, it's probably a good idea to find the teams around 12 o'clock on Saturday when they've already turned in, you know, they've turned in their last boxes and, and people are looking to give away all that food because it's a lot of food that doesn't go to the judges and, and they got to find something to do with. Um, competitions do promote brands. Um, we started as a competition team. Um, it is beneficial to some people. For us, it wasn't. Um, we did competitions a little bit after I opened a restaurant. I opened a restaurant in 2011. Um, and so maybe for that first two years, we were still doing competitions. Um, but at some point, for, for us in our business, I felt like we, I had to make the, cho- make the choice of whether I'm going to be a competition team or whether I'm going to be a restaurant. Because when you do competitions, you're taking resources away from the restaurant. We had to take a smoker away. We're taking people away. We're taking me away. We're taking um, resources, tangible resources that the restaurant needs to operate away from the restaurant. And as the restaurant grew and got more busy, the weekends in the restaurant business are really where you make your money. And so spending weekends away doing competitions was really contradictory to what we were trying to do in our success. And so um, we don't do competitions anymore. It was good to start. Um, it was good to start in competitions because you also ask what else is beneficial about them. Well, for us, um, competitions were a way to hone our craft, right? So all those years of us competing was week in and week out feedback of what we were doing right, what we were doing wrong. So it was really like real-life training um, on our sauces, our our rubs, our recipes, our techniques. Um, And so it was a way for me to really just kind of hone what it is that – I wanted to do comment, subscribe, send it off to other people. 
Um, this is something that we'll do uh, every week. Uh, I'm super excited about it. It's an outlet that I've wanted to have for a long time. I'll see you next week. Peace.